good, Cheryl? Geez, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. He does. He always does. He's awful. I can. Okay, let's uh, dig into the word. Because as far as this church is concerned, the absolute most important part of any church service is the faithful expository preaching and teaching of the scripture. Everything else in this church is subordinate to that. So, this morning as we look like we do each year into this thing called the resurrection narrative, I think it's important to stress once again the importance of the Old Testament being just as important as our New Testament. Okay, the Old Testament, New Testament form one book, one Bible. Okay, you can't really have one without the other. Why do I say this? Well, the death of Christ was foretold in the Old Testament. In fact, Christ's death church was actually part of God's plan. It was the plan that the Godhead instituted long before the world was created. <clears throat> Our Christ Jesus would die as a sacrificial lamb as payment for our sin debt. His death, church, reveals this incredible horror of our sins because, let's be honest this morning, your sins and my sins are what put Christ on that cross and then into the tomb. In the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system as this type and shadow of Christ. Jesus was the designated, perfect sacrifice whose death would atone for my sin and your sin. I want you to consider what Job said, you can put up slide one, long before Jesus came to earth and clothed himself in human flesh. Look what Job says in Job 19, 25 and 26. <clears throat> Job says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on earth. Even after my skin, my body is destroyed. <clears throat> Yet from my flesh, I shall see God. The question this morning is, can you say that? Do you and I also believe that our Redeemer lives? If we think we have it so horrible and so bad, I want you to take a moment and consider what Job had been going through before he made this statement. Okay, Job didn't make this statement when things were going really good for him. When he had a lot of coin in his pocket. When Job said this, he had already lost everything, church, all his possessions, all of his children. Then finally he loses his health. His friends, so-called friends, who came to comfort him, they end up playing the role of the accuser. But I want you to consider... The word Job uses here in the text, the word we have in our English Bibles is the word Redeemer. And that is a very good, accurate word. But the Hebrew word that is used there is the word Goel. So the question begs, okay, Job, what did you mean when you used that Hebrew word Goel? <clears throat> Remember, he says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer, my Goel, lives. 
Well, that word actually has the idea of fulfilling the duties of a relationship. You see, the, the main idea of a goel seems to be that of buying back something. We have to understand, back in Job's day, if a brother was taken captive or if he was sold into bondage, it was the responsibility of his brother to actually go and pay that debt off and then secure his release. You see, Jesus then is our goel. He's our kinsman redeemer. See, Jesus had the right to vindicate those whom the Father gave to him. In fact, the text says that he knows, meaning that his conviction and belief was firm, etched in stone, and decisive. Job believed that his goel, his kinsman redeemer, that is Yahweh, would be the one that comes to his defense. You see, church, a goel is a person who was a relative who would perform the duty of a redeemer. If a person lost his inheritance, if a person lost his land, it was actually the responsibility of the goel, who was the next of kin, to buy back that inheritance, to buy back the land, and restore, there's the word, restore it to the relative. You see, Job had faith in God. He had this confidence in his kinsman redeemer, who was God. And he actually says, he calls his kinsman redeemer, the redeemer who lives. The tomb is empty, church. Amen. Our Redeemer is Jesus the Christ. Christ bought you and I with a price. He's the one that paid the ransom for us. Do we treat him that way? Do we treat him like we, we know that? In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 gives us a very vivid detail picture of how Christ would suffer. you got to remember, this was written, this is slide 2, 3, and 4, I believe. This was written probably six or seven hundred years before Jesus came to earth. This is what Isaiah had to say about our kinsman redeemer. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord or Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. He wasn't on the cover of GQ nor his appearance, that we should even be attracted to him. This Jesus was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's like one whom men hide their face from. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. Do we understand that? Yet we ourselves esteemed or considered him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Slide four. <clears throat> he was pierced through for my transgressions and your transgressions. He was crushed, meaning he was bearing on himself all of our maladies, our spiritual and physical, which included as a consequence all of our iniquities on him. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Make a note of that on verse 5. By his scourging we are healed. We'll see where that's fulfilled. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. You can see that in Romans 3.11 too. Each of us has turned to his own way. Does that talk about you and me? It talks about me. How about you? But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on the Christ. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? Look at verse 6. Verse, verse 9, slide 6. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence. Imagine that. Nor, look at this, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Boy, I wish we could say that. Amen. Amen. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. That's the father punishing the son. Putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of his anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify, that's he's talking about Christ, will justify many and he will bear their iniquities, my iniquities and your iniquities, church. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and he interceded for the transgressor. Where do we see that fulfilled in the New Testament? I'm so glad you asked that question. Slide 8. <clears throat> Remember verse 5? By his scourging we are afield. 700 years later, what does it say in John 19, 1 through 3? Pilate then took Jesus and did what? Scourged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, put a purple robe on him. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And literally, it says slaps in the face, but literally they were punching him in the face. And these thorns weren't these little things like the rose bushes we have here. These were long thorns. Some theologians said some of these thorns they got actually had like a toxin in that accentuated the pain. So Pilate takes him and scourges him. He took that flagellum and whipped him 39 times, tearing his flesh apart. And if that wasn't enough, then they put a crown on his head. Didn't they, church? And then they beat him. Slide 9, John 9, 17 and 18. John 19. Then took Jesus, therefore, he went out, bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him with two other men on either side, Jesus in between. Church, Jesus the Christ is the one and only, only mediator between God and man. This is made clear in Scripture. You don't need anybody else. Where does it say that, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm glad you asked. We don't have a slide for this. It's 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Church, Christ is the one and only mediator. So what is, what is going on? God is rescuing you and I from the condition where our minds have been darkened so we don't know the truth. But God the Holy Spirit, who is a person, 
quickens our spirit and wakes us up to know the truth which is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So now as we go on into Matthew, I want you to think with me for a moment. Think back about your first thoughts about God and your need for salvation. What were the circumstances in your life that God used to cause you to become more serious about him? Well, we're looking at the resurrection narrative, and it's important that we think about that. Have you come to a saving faith in the person whose name is Jesus Christ? Nothing else matters. I've done enough funerals to promise you that. So I want you to look at the resurrection narrative because the tomb is empty. Slide 10, Matthew 28, 1 and 2. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. <clears throat> Verse 3 and 4, slide 11. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards, this big praetorian guards, shook for fear and became like dead men. So there's some facts to consider here regarding the resurrection. First, the resurrection was totally unexpected by those who were the first to see the Lord. These men were true skeptics. They're not gullible men. They were skeptical. But once they saw the risen Lord, they were totally convinced. So here in these first four verses of Matthew, you and I have the first evidence of Christ's resurrection. So I want us to all understand this morning that this was no ordinary man who rose from the dead. This was the only begotten, the monogenes, the unique one, one of a kind. In the Hebrew, if I get time, I'm going to explain to you about lineage here and show you some stuff that will blow your mind. But this, this Jesus is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. He is the monogenes. That is the Greek word that they use there in the text. This is the Jesus who claimed to be the unique son of the living God, and this is why the religious leaders back in his day wanted to kill him. This is the Jesus who was sinless and he died on behalf of those who are sinners like me. So here in Matthew's gospel, what do we have? We have the angel. We have Christ himself. Jesus the Christ arose on the third day after his death just like he said he would. He was buried on the evening of the sixth day, he rose the morning of the first day of the week, which back then was Sunday. Notice the text speaks of an earthquake. Now we remember when he died, the earth shook. So slide 12. When Jesus gave up a spirit, and he died on that cross, the Bible says, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, and the rocks were split. By the way, those veils were heavy. It wasn't like a, you know, like a shirt I would buy from the store. This was heavy. Here the earth shook again over his resurrection. It was a signal of Christ's victory over death. So verse 2, we see the angel of the Lord has descended from heaven. He rolls away the stone. Now it's interesting to note that an angel of the Lord attended to the Lord at his birth. Remember? An angel of the Lord attended to the Lord after he was tempted by Satan. Here, the angel not only rolled the stone away, he did something else. 
Very interesting. He just didn't roll away and fly back up. He sat upon the stone. Now, we need to understand something. Jesus could have easily rolled back the stone. He could have spoke the stone out of existence. He could have uttered a sound and it would be gone. But he didn't. He chose to have the angel roll back. Why? Well, Jesus did not escape from prison. He wasn't a fugitive. He deserved a fair and legal discharge, church. Keep in mind, he was delivered to death for our sin. He, he was without sin. He is, as our kinsman redeemer, bought us back with a price, completed our deliverance. Our sin debt, listen up, don't let any false prophet tell you different. Our sin debt has been paid in full. So the angel was commissioned to roll the stone back. <clears throat> our kinsman redeemer, Jesus the Christ, paid the debt on our behalf so that relationship with God the Father could now be restored. The angel sitting on the stone showed a complete, secure victory over any and all obstructions of Christ's resurrection. Then in verse 3, the Bible speaks of the angel's appearance. See, we only see this world. We don't even see. We have no idea. what We can't see what's going on up there. But you want to notice something? His appearance was like lightning. Greek word there, strape, has the idea of this brilliant, blinding, shining light. You can, like, you're like, oh, I, you know, it's blinding. It tells us that his clothing was as white as snow. So we're getting a little picture of what things are going to be like for us. You see, angels are often represented as those who are clothed in white because back in those days, white among the Jewish people was a sign of purity. It was a sign of innocence. So here in Matthew's Gospel, you and I, church, are given this little peek inside this visible representation of what's currently invisible to us. We also had another peek of this back in Matthew 17 too. Slide 13. And he was transfigured, metamorphosed before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. Christ's garments became as white as light. And then on verse 4 we see these guards. Now these guards were kind of like our Navy SEALs of the day. These were not just your weekend soldiers. These were battle-hardened soldiers that were put there to guard the tomb. Think about it. They shook like dead men. Can you imagine? They saw the angel. Now, you're going to see something here in a moment. You're going to see that the woman saw it, and you can see these guards saw it. So we have these battle-hardened Navy SEALs of the day, these Praetorian guards, shaken like dead men. It's interesting to note that that same word that's used here is the word seo, where we get the word seismos from. You, know, you guys, an earthquake, they have a seismic activity, right? You all know you're Greek and didn't even realize it. I'm so proud of you. Look at you guys. You're Greek scholars already. <clears throat> so seo, seismos, think about it, like an earthquake shaking inside of them. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of like the terminology they're using there. These guys weren't like a little you know, fear up the back of their neck. They were shaking. They seemed to be this powerful quivering in their body and mind. So, think about it. These powerful, well-trained, battle-hardened soldiers fought in themselves as fearless men, just like the men who were beating up on Jesus. Think about it. 
These battle-hardened soldiers were placed there to keep a dead man in his grave, which should have been a pretty easy task, but it proved to be too hard for them. One look at God's angel and they seismos, they were shaking in their boots. Now, look at Matthew 28, 5, 6, and 7, slide 14, 15. The same angel that had them shaking like dead men are now speaking to the women. Speaking to the women. And they say to the two Marys, look, don't be afraid. I know, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Ladies, come, come inside and see where he used to be laying. Then he gives instructions. He says, then go quickly and tell all these disciples that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going to go ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you, I've delivered the message. And they left the tomb quickly with fear, but not the fear of shaking in their boots, an awe and joy. And they ran to report it to the disciples. Two sets of people, one tomb, one shaking like dead men who were battle-hardened Praetorian guards or Navy SEALs of the day, and just the ladies that were just coming to attend to them. Fascinating, isn't it? Do you know Jesus the Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? The, the unbelieving soldiers shaking like with fears, dead men, they were terrified. The woman leaving with fear and joy. You see, church, why do I bring that up? If you truly belong to the Christ, you have no need to fear him. He tells the ladies, don't, don't be afraid. He, the angel said, I, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Does that bring joy and comfort to you this morning? Easter is not about Peter Cottontail hopping down the bunny trail. It's not about eggs. It's not about candy canes and all that other crap. It's about a risen Savior who bled and died for us. He says, come and see where he was lying. Ladies, compare what he told you with what you see with your own eyes. Then go and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. Slide 16. He's going ahead of you in Galilee. You're going to see him there. Ladies, go tell the others, your Lord and Master, he's conquered sin and death. He's risen from the dead. You see, Christ knows who, listen, this is something that we ought to really be sobering and thinking about. Jesus knows who his true disciples are, and he knows where they are. The angel faithfully did his job. Slide 17. Here's some questions for you this morning. Who have you told? Who have you shared this good with news with? Did you share with anybody this week? Were you excited enough about the God-man that you took the time to share this? Has the Lord placed it on your heart to share this message with somebody this week? Here's one thing to understand when we look at this. Someday we're going to die. Unless the rapture happens, you're going to die. You're going to draw your last breath. Some of the people that you know, you get so worried about offending them by sharing the gospel with them, someday they're going to die. Do you want them looking at you and saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I'm, I'm just looking at what the text teaches us. 
All right. Slide 18, verse 9 and 10. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they, be, they came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Proskuneo, they worshipped him. Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Listen, go take word of my brethren to leave for Galilee. They're going to see me there. Church, we see here in verse 9 the love that these women had for Jesus the Christ. And I have to ask myself, and you and me have to ask yourself, do I love him that much? Do you love him that much? Be honest with him and yourself. Do we love him that much? Do we worship him? Do we respect him and honor him? You see, holding him by his feet, cross, forward, of feet, so bending over. It's, it's, it's the idea of worship and you know, honor to the Lord. Jesus gave instructions. Same instructions he gave us in Matthew 28, 19. Go, take my word to my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. The women were instructed to announce the good news to their brothers. You're going to see Jesus again. The woman went to deliver the good news, but in verse 11 through 15, we see a different group of guys. Battle-hardened Praetorian Guard soldiers. They're going and they're delivering a different message to the priests. Let's take a peek. Slide 19 and 20. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city, and they reported to the chief priests all that had happened. They didn't go to their commanding officer. They went right to the priest. Broke the chain of command. Right to the priest. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, so they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you're to say, <clears throat> his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. Well, first of all, you've got to understand something here, church. That was an offense punishable by death. You don't sleep on duty. Back then. Mm -mm. If their boss came, that would be the end. So that is a lie. But they wanted the money. The scratch-off ticket. Ooh, they want the money. Got to have that money. They'll solve all my problems. Yeah, okay. Slide 20, 14, 15. And if this should come to the governor's ear, We'll win them over and keep you guys out of trouble. So what did they do? They took the money, has been instructed, and the story was widely spread among the Jews of that day. So church, we need to point some things out here. You see, the tomb wasn't open to let the Lord out. It was open to let the disciples in so they could see firsthand that Christ had rose from the dead. <clears throat> in 11 through 15 those verses, we have the eyewitness account of the soldiers guarding the tomb. I want you to think about it. They were eyewitnesses. Church, they were eyewitnesses to the glorious resurrection of Christ from the dead even while they were there as enemies to obstruct it. Think about that. They saw all this take place. Can you imagine what it's like to see an angel appearing like white lightning before you, ground shaking, stone being rolled away that took like half a dozen people just to move it? Think about it. They were eyewitnesses, even while they were enemies set there to obstruct it. I wonder sometimes how my behavior becomes an enemy of the Lord. How about you? Two messages that came from the gravesite. 
One message is of joy to true followers of Christ. The other, shame to the chief priests. You can imagine, church, or try to imagine, what it must have been like to hear this message coming from these battle-hardened, powerful soldiers who were clearly shaken up. They could tell these soldiers were shaken up from what they saw. But instead of repenting of their sin, confessing their sin, even after witnessing everything, they decided to plunge themselves into further sin. Isn't that so true of so many people today? I want what I want. I want it my own way. I don't care what God or anybody thinks. I'm going to do it my way. When I was younger, I used to think like that. They rejected the truth of the Eugelian, the gospel, just like people still reject that truth today. It was a shameful, wicked thing the priests did. Even with the eyewitness accounts of the soldiers, they still didn't care about Christ. Here's the question. Where do you stand today? Look at what John 5, 28 and 29 says, slide 21. Don't marvel at this. Don't be caught off guard. Don't, don't be confused. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. They will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The question is, do you sense the Lord speaking to your heart this morning through his, his word? We've learned that God the Father fulfilled his promise by sending his only unique monogamous son to be executed on that cross for our sin. Every sin that you and I have ever committed, past, present, in future, in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, motives, in our hearts against God's holiness, we all have to come clean and know that deserves his wrath. This wrath that my sins and your sins produced was satisfied when God took the worst about you and the worst about me and he put it on his son. And he took the best about his son and he put it on you and I. Think about it. His son went to the cross and the worst that you and I have ever done or will do, God the Father said, you know what, Isaiah 53, his son was crushed for our iniquities. Everything was placed on Christ, all the worst about us. And the very best about him that we don't deserve gets credited to us. So when you drop that, if you've come to a saving faith in Christ, you stand before him, the judgment's been satisfied. The debt's paid in full. Enter in, and you spend eternity with the Lord. That is what happened there at the tomb and at the cross. That's what satisfied his wrath. It was his crimson blood that was spilled for us. This Jesus was the revealed, long-awaited Messiah that Job, the kinsman, it was his kinsman redeemer, was looking forward to. Yet in my flesh I'll see him. In God's appointed time, Christ came into the world to save whom the Father has given us. How about slide 22? This should bring comfort to you too. All that the Father gives me 
will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. You're forgiven. Your sin debt's forgiven. If you come to him, you confess your sin and you place your trust. What does he say? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. I hope that encourages you. Scriptures are clear. Christ shed his blood and gave his life for us. Those who belong to him hear and believe the gospel because they are irresistibly drawn to him by the Holy Spirit. Hear me this morning. The word of God is clear that God is sovereign over all creation. Church, he is the creator, ruler, sustainer of all that is. He is in control of everything. Even though the world looks like it's spiraling into chaos and everything, he's already told us in Matthew 24, if you want current news, you don't need CNN. Just open up Matthew 24 or open up 2 Peter. Everything that was written 2,000 years ago is happening exactly the way God said it would happen. I mean, if you read it, earthquakes, famine, pestilence, increasing in knowledge, children against parents, parents against children. We got innocent kids that did nothing wrong being slaughtered in their mommy's womb. We have all of this garbage going on in the world. Everything that God said would happen happened. Our way out is only through a person whose name is Jesus Christ. That's our way out. John 15, 16. You did not choose me. I chose you, appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. So whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, make sure when you read that verse, you don't read it like, oh, Lord, I want a Lamborghini with the leather. Oh, and, and it's Shazam, there it is. No, no, no. What does the verse say, church? Whatever you ask of my Father in my name. Here's something to understand. The more you draw closer to Christ, all your plans and dreams and all that stuff, the more you draw closer and you spend time with the Word, your mind gets transformed and they start to be reshaped to be more in line with what God's plans and dreams are for you, church. You know, we, we act like we're going to live here forever. We see people with a shiny new you know, Lamborghini or something like that and we start to get our flesh kicked up. That, that stuff's all going to burn. It's all going to burn, church. Let me close with this, because I know you're all hungry and you want that dinner. Slide 24 and 25. I want to share with you something one of my all-time favorite theologians and authors and pastors, Steve Lawson, wrote. This is what he wrote. That what should be at the center of every person's life, the center of every person's life, is the glory of God and the promotion of His glory, not ours. Amen. He goes on to say, This is what is primary in the salvation of every lost sinner, the revealing of the glory of God, so that sinners may rejoice in the glory of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, one God, three persons, one God, one in essence, one in nature, work together, one Savior, indivisibly united in rescuing, I wish I had more time, radically corrupt sinners before time began. There was a plan before time began. God the Father chose the people for himself to be the worshipers of his glory by becoming the objects of his grace. As an expression of his infinite love for his son, Jesus Christ, 
The Father gave his elect to Christ as a love gift. Do you realize you're a love gift? A people who would praise him forever and ever. The Father commissioned the Son to come into the world in order to redeem these chosen ones through his sacrificial death. The Father, along with the Son, sent the Holy Spirit into the world to apply the saving work of the Son to this group of elect sinners. That's how it's applied. Do we now understand the gospel? Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God. On that cross, the sins of everyone who come to faith in Him were transferred onto Christ. Like I said before, the very worst about you and I was placed on Jesus, and the very best about Him was placed on us. Church, listen. Blood was spilled. Do you realize the blood that ran and coursed through the veins of Christ was the very blood of God? I think it's in Acts 28. Think about it. That crimson blood that was spilled was the blood of God. The Son of God, the Son of Man, has come to seek and save the lost. Let me close with this. If you're here this morning, you listening around the world this morning, I know that several countries are listening in. Today could be very different for you if you come to a saving faith. The Bible doesn't say you have to do anything. You don't have to don't dance around. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to drop down on the floor. You don't have to say some special prayer that you won't find in there. The Bible says repent and believe. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you die, listen, when you die, if you die without Christ, it's too late. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. You don't go, God, can I go back and do it over again like we did in sports when we kicked the ball out of balance? No, it is appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. Please understand, when you die, you do not have a second chance. And the reason I am saying this with such fervency this morning is because we are in the last days. I mean, Jesus could come back at any time. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the world spiraling out of control. So please, if you are here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning, I want you to surrender your life. I'm asking you to surrender your life as the gospel has been freely offered to you. Repent of your sins. Confess them. Just come clean. Listen, the repentance isn't for his benefit. It's yours. He knew you were going to commit the sins before he created you. Think about that. A gazillion years before you were knit in mommy's womb, Psalm 139, he already knew everything you were going to do, everything that's going to come out of your mouth. Imagine when you're standing there in glory, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we have to appear before the beam and see the Lord to give an account of everything we did in the body, whether good or bad. Imagine the Lord's playing the real tape about every prophetic piece of profanity that comes out of your mouth. Every horrible thing, every racist rant, every garbage, everything we said, thought, all your impure thoughts, everything is right there. What are you going to do? There's nothing you and I can do. Either all that stuff that you would see is completely washed and cleansed like an eraser washing a board clean where it's completely removed, or you're, all, you're going to pay for that yourself by burning in hell in all eternity. There's no option number three. That's it. You repent and believe. So if you're here, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here this morning... I want you to take a moment and really think seriously about your life. This is Resurrection Sunday. You've heard the Word of God. You've read the Scriptures. 
It is up to you to make that decision whether or not you believe or not. And the only way you believe is the Holy Spirit quickens your spirit. Everyone I think that hears this knows that the Bible is telling you the truth. So if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, confess your sins to the Lord. You know, ask him to forgive you for your sin. If you genuinely, really believe that you want forgiveness of your sin. Surrender your life to him where the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells you. And then all your dreams and thoughts and everything that you thought was important, as you fall more in love with the Christ, they seem to just dim away. Like a light dimmer switch, dimming it all away. And the brightness of what God has for your life starts to come clear as you walk in obedience with him. So if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Christ as he's been freely offered to you in the gospel. My passion is to see each one of you on the other side in glory. Amen? Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen. Meet and greet, shake hands, line up. You have an incredible meal, Easter meal for you.